Welcome to Oversharing Wearing, my podcast where I talk honestly and openly about living with anxiety. I have to say, before we get started, that I had a bit of a kind of mini episode of self-doubt about doing this. And I know that's not cool to admit, but it's because you kind of suddenly, it dawned on me after all the responses I've had and messages that people are listening, <laughs> which is a bit of a shock, I'll be honest. And you, you, you know, I'm telling a deeply personal story. Um, and it's like, I might as well just cartwheel down the high street in a thong singing, this is me, one of the greatest showmen. <laughs> it's, I mean, the shame. That's what it, that's what it feels like sometimes when you're kind of, when I'm talking, it's like, oh, I'm I'm just coming out with it. it there it is. But obviously I'm not going to cartwheel down the road in a thong because uh, that wouldn't be a good thing. No, no, no. So I'll stick to the podcast. <laughs> so I just thought I'd share that with you guys. But I also went back and revisited the teaser and I'm doing this because anxiety is just such a lonely place and you can feel so bloody awful and the thing with it is it's such an invisible illness that you can't just look at someone and go yeah they're anxious I mean obviously if they're displaying obvious signs but you know we we project the image we want people to see we don't want to look like a hot mess but you know it's not that being anxious makes you a hot mess but what I mean is we we all have like I've talked about before a mask that we present to the world and that actually that is a way of coping and I think you also with anxiety you start to kind of develop controlling behavior because you feel raw and exposed by your thoughts and it's a little bit like your mind is sabotaging you and you're trying to make sense of it and battling to feel a sense of normalcy, which can be threatened at any time because you can't predict when you're going to feel bad. And I think, for me, that's the one of the worst things about anxiety is how it creeps up out of nowhere and, and it's so powerful and it can render you feeling so out of control. And that's a scary place to be. And I think with the current situation with the lockdown... Uh, people with anxiety are used to modifying their behaviour and creating a kind of bubble for themselves, which is familiar, which isn't going to maybe threaten their kind of sense of equilibrium that you're trying to kind of manage when you feel anxious. And you kind of, for me, I know for a fact that I have isolated myself at points I've gone underground because it's easier to do that than to face people. And you're also, you're kind of, you're trying to prevent the whole time you're fighting to not feel anxious. And it's exhausting. It's so tiring. And if for many, it's a silent battle and it and it's, can be hard to understand. And I get that. You know, in the past when I've tried to explain to my husband how I feel... As amazing as he is about it, it it's it's not easy to kind of say, 
I'm freaking out right now. And there have been times when I've had to take myself off and go for a walk. And that's a good thing, you know, I, I wouldn't want to lean on him too heavily. That's not right or fair. But I think, you know, your your thoughts are spiralling. And in those moments where you might feel like you might faint or panic or embarrass yourself or just freak out, that is just, it's, it's just the most frightening, scary place to be. And... I also think that out of that, a lot of fears are born. And for me, definitely, flying became a huge issue for me. I developed such a massive phobia that I couldn't even look at a plane and I didn't fly for 17 years, which is ridiculous now that I think about it. But it was, I think it was just this, I don't know if it was actually now, if it is flying. I mean, I still struggle with it, but... I saw a life coach last year and we were talking about it and she said because I'd grown up feeling very trapped by my feelings and the life I had around me and I didn't particularly want to be at home that that being in a plane symbolized those same sort of feelings which I don't know if that's but it kind of something did click when she said that for me. But I'll talk about that more another time. But I just wanted to highlight one of the ways it affected me. Um, what I can't want to talk about this episode um, is toxic relationships. Because as I talked about in my previous episode, I had just met somebody. And as I said, he had told me he loved me after a very short time. What happens when you are vulnerable, or in my case, rather, sorry, I don't mean to say what is, what happened for me is that hearing that you're loved or you're getting acceptance from a relative stranger, let's face it, just, it was just what I wanted to hear. And, you know, as the relationship kind of built very quickly, there were definite signs that all was not well. I remember still living in my old flat and my contact lens had got stuck and I went to go to my flatmate who was used to helping me with that kind of thing and um, the guy grabbed my arm and wouldn't let go and was quite like, no, I'll do it. And he, he wouldn't let go and it was really horrible and I just remember thinking, oh that's a bit weird but that's the thing it starts really slowly toxic relationships and gaslighting you you don't you kind of like make excuses for it and actually because of my relationship with him and we talked quite quickly about having a family my anxiety was actually quite manageable and I did get pregnant and and I have spoken to my son, by the way, about this episode. He, I have his permission to talk about things. But, you know, I, I didn't think about it. And another thing which I know a lot of people struggle with when they're anxious is whether or not they'll pass that on to their child. And to be honest, I didn't. Whether that was naivety or... I don't know. But I do totally understand why it would be a huge thing for some people... And I just couldn't wait 
to have this baby, I was very, very excited. People around me weren't so much. Obviously, I'd only been seeing this person for three months and things were moving at warp speed. And there were... It was just becoming more and more obvious that there were issues within the relationship. He didn't come to the first scan because we'd had an argument about him not wanting to pay a phone bill. And that back then there weren't mobile phones, so I was relying on the landline to be able to be in touch with my family and friends. And it was it became quite clear that it was a way of having control over me. And I was kind of obviously quite vulnerable because I was having a baby. I carried on taking the Prozac that I was on. I took a lower dose because I'd spoken to the doctor about it and they recommended uh, not coming off it um, straight away because it could have more do more harm than good. And when I saw that little wriggling baby on the first scan, I was just... Honestly, it was the happiest moment of my life. I um, took the scan home and showed the father and he was thrilled and very apologetic. That's the thing, he would always apologise and then I'd think, well, that that's the end of that, it's not going to happen again. I think that's the thing, we can feed ourselves lies to because you don't want to face the truth. It was It was a really good pregnancy and I loved it and this is quite embarrassing but I used to speak to the scan photo. I used to have it by my bed. I took it everywhere. And I probably bored people to death talking about having this baby. But I have to say, I wasn't treated very well uh, in my pregnancy as well. And I went to have the 16-week blood test and the, the nurse was quite rough with me and said, well, I'm doing these blood tests, but you'll probably lose the baby. One in four people do. And I just sat there frozen and I came out afterwards and I was sick in the toilets because I was so freaked out. And I have to say, just before I went in, my son's father asked me if he was definitely the father and wanted me to confirm that. There and then, in the doctor's surgery. Um, okay, well, that was horrible. So I was already anxious. So... That And then basically the 16-week blood test results came back and there was roughly a 1 in 40 chance of me having a baby with Down syndrome. And a different nurse had been trying to contact me. She'd even gone onto our street to try and find our flat to tell me. And I got all these very panicky phone calls to say that I needed to have an amniocentesis ASAP. And I understand she was just concerned, but it didn't help my mental state because I thought, oh my God, you know, if she's freaking out, I should be freaking out. So I had this amniocentesis and the needle is like absolutely bloody huge. And I lay there and you you're, you, obviously you're not meant to move and I didn't. But as soon as the woman had finished taking some of the, a sample of amniotic fluid... I was sick. It was really, really embarrassing. I was sick all down myself, just through fear. Um, I had to clear myself up. And when I walked through to reception, she was telling the receptionists about what had happened and was like, I can't believe she was sick on my table. And it was just 
so humiliating, I can't tell you. And I had to go home just in a coat with nothing underneath on, on the top half. And it was just, I felt, I don't know why, but I just felt really ashamed. And I had to go home and lie still for 24 hours and then waited three weeks for the results. And we had discussed it at great length and I knew I'd keep the baby no matter what. And I also wanted to find out the sex and was found out I was having a boy. And I am so girly. I could not believe I was having a boy. I know that sounds insane. I felt like I was giving birth to an eclair. It was just like, oh, me having a boy. It was so, so, so strange. But it was it was a really difficult time because I think I in that time I did get married to him because he um, isn't British and it meant, you know, it secured his future and I, again, I didn't think too deeply about it. You know, I, there was just so many incidences where I'd be belittled by him. And because I'd spoken about what my relationship with my dad and the behaviour, and I confided in him, he then used it against me. He would tell me I was stupid, that he was going to get a priest because I was evil and he needed to have me exorcised. And I'm, you know, carrying his child. It was just ongoing. And I had the baby. I ended up having an emergency cesarean. And seeing that beautiful little face made it all worth it. And he was just the most gorgeous baby. But again, because I'd been taking Prozac, there was no provisional chats about whether I could breastfeed. And literally within that, when he was born, they were like, nope, we should have said you can't breastfeed because it would the trans- it could transfer in the milk to him. So we had this mad panic rush to get formula and sterilising equipment and bottles. And it really was like that. There was It was so gutting because I wanted to breastfeed. And because I'd had a, a caesarean, um, my son was quite sleepy for the first 24 hours. Obviously, the next day, he's sort of waking up a bit more and he started really screaming. And this nurse came in and she looked down at him and said, well, I, I think he's having withdrawal symptoms from your Prozac. He might have to, we might have to take him away. I kid you not. She said that and I went into complete meltdown. I couldn't stop crying. My son's dad was just blaming me and saying, you know, I was weak for being on medication and I was just freaking out. I never saw that nurse again. Nothing ever came of it. But that honestly, it just threw me. He he was such a perfect baby and... You know, I had to stay in hospital for six days because of the cesarean. I took him home and, you know, we sort of settled into a routine. But within a week, um, my son's father was saying that I needed to start to lose the baby weight. And the behaviour just became more and more controlling. But actually, because I was so happy with my son, I sort of worked around it and because we had no money I had to get a job quite quickly and I managed to find a job in this shop where they let me bring him I loved it and it was a complete lifeline actually from 
the life I had at home. And I, I was incredibly happy with my son. I loved, loved, loved being a mum. But I absolutely fucking knew I'd screwed up in my relationship. And I wasn't perfect. I mean, I am high maintenance to hell. But it was the toughest relationship of my life. Because when someone's gaslighting you, when they're making you doubt yourself, your sanity, and you're already anxious, I was just in this cycle of just, you know, I couldn't eat again, it started again, and I was always on edge, and and trying to please him, and, you know, tiptoe around him. When my son was a few months old, I bought these little wedges, you know, when you've had a baby, it takes a while to feel back to normal, and more yourself, physically and mentally, and we were going for a walk, and I was carrying my son, and basically I tripped on a step, just going out of the building that we lived in. I managed to sort of twist myself so that he landed on me. He was only a few months old, so he was absolutely fine. I mean, he started crying because obviously I landed on a concrete step, flat on my back, and I was so winded. My son's father just picked him up and walked off. He didn't ask me if I was okay. He just walked off. And this elderly lady came up to me who, who lived in a, in the first floor flats and just said, are you okay? And, and she said, is that your husband? And I said, yes. And she said, well, I don't think he likes you very much. And I just lay there on the floor crying. And it was just the most awful moment, probably one of the worst moments of my life because I just felt like so alone with that. So after about nine months, I decided that I was going to leave. You know, we'd have these terrible, terrible rows and, you know, I've got a temper so I, I could match his anger and you know, we said horrible things to each other and it wasn't healthy and I didn't want my son growing up with that. So I went back to my parents who lived nearby and, and said, you know, I I want to leave this person. I, I don't want to be in this relationship. It just went from bad to worse. I The job I had, he would take the money because I got paid in cash, so I didn't have any money. He didn't want people coming round to the flat. He didn't want people to hold the baby. It, You know, we did have some okay moments. But by the time my son was two, I just was like, no, I'm out. I I don't care now. I, I don't actually like myself anymore. I don't particularly want to live. If it wasn't for my son, I don't know what I'd do. And so... We'd gone for lunch and I just remember looking at him and saying, that's it, I'm sorry, That that's it. And there, there were so many incidences of gaslighting and toxicity and I just, I, I knew, despite being anxious and vulnerable in that situation, that I deserved better, that that was not going to be the story that I wanted to live with and that... I had to get the hell out of there. You know, my parents weren't thrilled, but you know, I, I, we'd moved house by then. So he just, he just left. 
he just left. I, I had to start to rebuild my life as a single mother. That was not fun. <laughs> There's the guilt. There's your son saying, where's daddy? So I had to kind of try to explain to him that daddy was not living at home anymore, but he loved him very much and that he'd see him all the time. And I, I don't know if I said the right thing. I tried, but I am so glad that I made that decision. And that is no disrespect to him. Since then, he, on some levels, he has been good to me when I met my now second husband. God, I sound like bloody Zsa Zsa Gabor, like I've been married eight times. But, it, you know, I don't want to run him down. Uh, we've We've moved on, but my God, that was not a fun three years. So I'm just saying that if you, you, you're in a similar situation or if you think there's the potential that, that someone you're with for them to behave like that, please just walk out because it doesn't get better. It gets worse and it gets violent and it's just pure destruction. And I, I know I had a chat about this with my friend Ian when he was in a toxic relationship. And the thing is, it affects you so much and you don't know how badly it is going to hit you. And I had waves of feeling terrible for a long, long, long time after. I had to have a year worth of counselling because I was so unwell after the whole situation. So I just want to send you guys lots and lots of love and just say that I understand and I'm thinking of you all. Chat to you next time. Bye. Bye.